Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. There is a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, people perish. Upon reading that, someone might wonder if that's describing literal vision or a metaphorical way of understanding goals, dreams, aspirations. Well, we know that blind people aren't limited by their lack of physical vision, and quite often the opposite is true. They're able to operate with a heightened awareness of their surroundings, and they're able to see things people with vision might not. On this episode of The Missing Chapter, we discuss a remarkable man who lived the majority of his life with no sight, but was a profound visionary. As we discuss the circumstances surrounding his life, he will prove to those that are willing to learn from him that sometimes it's the people with sight that have become blinded, not those without. In honor of Thanksgiving and to kick off the Christmas season, the Missing Chapter podcast will be giving away a free coffee mug to one lucky listener. Simply click on the message link on our social media platforms and leave us a voice message. Tell us your name, where you're from, and where you'd like to listen to The Missing Chapter. You will be automatically entered to win. Or simply go to anchor.fm backslash the missing chapter backslash message. That's anchor.fm backslash the missing chapter backslash message. The winner will be announced during our December 18th episode, Foggy Memory, the Empire State Building Tragedy, and on social media. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome, everybody, and thanks again for joining us here on the Missing Chapter podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. We're sitting down to a very nice French vanilla, courtesy of our friends at the Utica Roasting uh, Company. And Phil and I, we're just discussing something kind of cool, and this is the beauty of social media and people who uh, reach out to us, our listeners who, who share interesting facts with us. Apparently, uh, Wendy Kissinger. Wendy, hello. Um, you mentioned on Facebook the other day um, that you have a personal connection, a family connection with Philo Farnsworth, um, somebody that Phil had done in a previous episode and, and introduced us to uh, with the episode Vision for the Future. Now, Wendy uh, and I went to high school together, and we've had the, um, the privilege of, of teaching um, some of her, her children. Phil, that's a great, you know, just a, kind of a random, yeah. unexpected um, fact that, that we found out courtesy of Facebook. Yeah. And you, you screenshotted the message and I couldn't believe it. And I said, yeah. what are the chances follow Farnsworth? And it's, and it's funny you're mentioning this now too, Phil, because this is uh this is something that I want to talk about today is, is people with visions, you know, so mm-hmm. ha- being a visionary and what that includes and maybe what it doesn't include. So right. this is, this is an interesting one um, because I think a lot of people, when it comes to being a visionary, so many people see the limitations of their vision rather than seeing it through. With this person, 
they didn't have that at all because they didn't have sight. Mm. And I, I think because that person didn't have sight, it didn't stop them from pursuing their vision, interesting. which is a kind of an right. interesting take on this. So there's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of things we can learn from this this man. So let's let's talk uh, about yeah, this guy. Let's get into it. So let's just say you know like people see those limitations, like I mentioned, they see the logic, they see obstacles, and it limits their their ability to kind of almost be imaginative. Someone who has the perceived limitation of blindness isn't actually restricted by seeing those obstacles because they're more focused you know, uh, on what's in front of them rather than the un unseeable potential of their ideas. So I think this person just personifies that to the, to the greatest ideal. This person was born in 1890 in uh, Indiana. His family had an array of, of manufacturing businesses from building bicycles to engines uh, and, and actually some cars. But life changed, though, when this person was, was about five years old. Uh, this young man accidentally blinded one eye while he was playing with a knife. Oh, geez. So he wasn't he wasn't born. blind. He wasn't born okay. blind. And then within a year, uh, he suffered from a condition which trauma to one eye causes damage to the other. Oh. And this would unfortunately make him completely blind. But quite quickly, however, he started to compensate for his lack of sight and his hands became his eyes. Hmm. Incredibly talented when it when it comes to this, uh, letting him, quote, see it, explains his family, was bringing him something so he could feel it with his hands. And this is, of course, where the title Seeing Hands comes from. So there's stories of him going through uh, town on his own, completely blind. He sensed building corners by the subtle echo of metal-tipped shoes as people were walking. That's amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah. He counted steps between known landmarks. He could even avoid 19th century traffic hazards like horses because he could smell the horses coming. And he could hear the very primitive and loud cars coming as well. And he helped refine and improve his father's company's designs with his sense of, uh, of touch. And this sense of touch soon became legendary, actually, around the factory. There's a story, actually. This is, am this is amazing. He, there's a story about him feeling some of the new castings that his, his father was producing and remarking that they didn't vary by more than a thousandth of an inch. So the person who gave them, like, there's no way. They measured the casting, and sure enough, he was spot on. And that's amazing. I mean, you hear stories about people with certain, I, I guess I'll use the term limitations, or, or physical, um, you know, ailments like this. But their their other senses become so heightened. Right. That you take something that you think would hold somebody back, and actually it empowers them because their other senses become so heightened. They're, they're actually noticing things like you said that other people yeah you know are picking up on that, yeah. that's amazing especially in a factory you think of factory setting this is an area where somebody would get hurt if they're if they're blind exactly where he's actually like you know just i mean going in all different directions here and and, and being able to to help in areas that other people wouldn't and, it, and it's the disability like you mentioned the disability you would think is is the the most tragic part of his life mm -hmm. and it's actually what you said is what enabled him to seek out his potential. Yeah, that's remarkable. It's it's an incredible uh, feat here. So his family was quite encouraging. He started breaking barriers left and right. His father uh, and uncles trained him to be a, a machinist. And by the age of 13, he managed to build an automobile of his own, uh, of his own design that he was capable of traveling 25 miles an hour with. And in his late teens, he decided to become an engineer. The problem was, of course, he's blind. And his cousin was an economics graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania. And he personally convinced 
Penn's engineering dean to admit him to the school's mechanical engineering program. This was after being rejected by, of course, many colleges because of his disability. You know, they, they would reject him, especially with that time period. Uh, they wouldn't allow him to be a student in, in multiple occasions. He needed a lot of assistance in reading textbooks and written assignments, of course. But according to uh, a professor by the name of Bill Hammack, uh, who has studied this man extensively, Quote, successful engineers think in images. Hmm. Their minds occupy a nonverbal world, not easily reducible to words. This young man had this kind of thinking in spades. So after graduating, which was a feat in and of itself, of course, he came up with a breakthrough process for steam turbines on U.S. Navy warships. His family owned a company called The Perfect Circle, where they manufactured piston rings, and he became the company's lead engineer and eventually its president. And of course, because of that, that unbelievable gift of even feeling down to the thousandth of an inch, because better piston rings meant more efficient and powerful engines, perfect circle, that company um, soon became like the, the standard for uh, if anyone military included, obviously, hey, if anyone wants the best piston rings, mm-hmm. you got to go to perfect circle. So according to family legend, one of this young man's uh, places of inspiration came from an unskilled driver and friend and chauffeur, his patent attorney. He was a horrible driver. So this is where the story really becomes very, very profound. And it's an amazing story up until this point. Right. I mean, every step of the the way for this this guy is pretty remarkable. Well, I think we can all agree that we've we've all been in that that, uh, car or SUV or truck where you have the driver who loves to stab the throttle Mm -hmm. and slam on the brake. Stab the throttle, slam on the brake. And it's that jerky motion that like makes all of us nauseous. We can all picture that driver in our head right now. That was his chauffeur. And a person with no sight, that would exacerbate all those feelings as well. So he's he was getting motion sickness. He was getting sick while he's driving. He's like, what is going on? So he's trying to tell his chauffeur and the chauffeur loves to talk while he drives. He's getting distracted. He would gradually slow down while talking, then speed up again and then realize how slow he was going. Then, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So it was just this back and forth kind of thing. On top of that, there was a new nationwide 35-mile-an-hour speed limit to save gas and save rubber for tires, and as well as new safety precautions because as cars carried more speed, of course, the deadlier the accidents became. So because of those situations put together, this person says, you know what, I think I have a, I have a vision. And he could almost picture it as he was getting jerked back and forth mm-hmm. by the driver, by the chauffeur. He says, I think I'm going to invent what's called the speedo stat. The driver would set a dialed in speed. The driver would then feel the pressure on the gas pedal, almost resisting the pressure of the driver's foot. And the pedal would stay steady, essentially. And therefore, so will the speed, unless the driver inputs more pressure on the pedal to accelerate. And there you go. He called it a speed lock, which he would add later. And this is crazy. He had added an electromagnetic motor. Uh, and of course, the brakes, when the brakes were pressed, the speedo stat would disengage. No, I guess I was going to say, I think I think, I think you got I, I was going to say, I think I know where you're going. And I'm wondering if the listeners do, too. What's the invention? Are we talking cruise control? We are talking cruise That's control. That's amazing. I didn't realize cruise control was invented so early either. It, it was. Yeah. But it wasn't named cruise control. It was right. speed of stat. Right. So it is cruise control. And it was invented by this invented by this brilliant minded, completely blind young man by the name of Ralph Teeter. OK, so Ralph first calls this speedo stat nicknamed stat. Mm-hmm. Originally, this is how it worked. So imagine the mechanical engineering behind this. And remember, this person's completely blind, but he sees all of this in his brain as, as he's uh, driving down the road with this horrible driver. 
So according to the Smithsonian, he had a speed selector on the dashboard connected to an engine compartment mechanism running off the drive shaft. Now, just that alone, as I'm picturing it, that's hard for me to picture, and I'm a car guy. Mm -hmm. So imagine him being a blind engineer doing all this. As the speed driver set, um, as the speed the driver set came close, the governor mechanism activated a vacuum-driven piston capable of pushing back the gas pedal. Then later, he added the speed lock through the electric ma magnetic motor, as I mentioned earlier, and that would stay at a constant speed and not just you know decelerate. Like you know, if you locked in the the gas, uh, it would stay that constant speed until you hit a hill and it would okay. decelerate. Right. So Tita received a patent for this speed control device on August twenty second. 1950 and witnesses say that during early tests as a driver uh steered a test vehicle teeter would sprawl across the floor and put his hand on the gas pedal to test certain things because he you know he obviously couldn't drive so he had a test manufacturer or, excuse me a, a test driver uh do that for him his biggest concern though uh is something that i find all the time right now is people falling asleep at the wheel because mm -hmm. of, of this uh speed of stat. Five years later, in 1955, he lobbied many car manufacturers to include this on their cars, but they really didn't see it as a necessity. They really didn't see that a need at all. However, his big breakthrough came in 1958 when Chrysler was first to offer the Speedostat as a luxury model option. A year later, its popularity influenced Chrysler to other Speedostat on all of their car models. And then next came the big one, General Motors Cadillac Division. It rechristened the name, marketed the device as called, as we know it today, cruise control. And then, of course, in 1973, OPEC imposed an oil embargo against the United States. And here comes Teeter again. His innovation was now looked at pretty differently. Mm -hmm. It was no more a luxury item, uh, a luxurious add-on that you could get it as, as an option, but as a widely accepted, now, gas-conserving tool. And studies at the time showed that the national speed limit prompted the oil embargo excuse me, prompted by the oil embargo, saved about 167,000 barrels of oil a day. Wow. And then staying at that speed consistently would help maintain those savings. So with that, we have quite the invention that's going to influence modern day America. I would say. And throughout the world. Welcome back from the break. Phil, you know, I think one of my favorite kind of templates for our episodes, the, the ones I've enjoyed the most over the last two seasons, really are the ones where people overcome tremendous odds, Come, overcome tremendous odds to, to do amazing things. And that's certainly the story you laid out for us, you know, with today's episode. And it dawned on me that you had someone who was smart enough to conceptualize something completely out of the ordinary and completely revolutionary for the automobile. But then on top of it, he was also able to engineer it and, and be the mechanic to actually put the, the working pieces together to see it actually come to fruition. Mm. So, I mean, it, you're, it's one thing to be the visionary, but it's also somebody to actually have the know-how to make it a reality. That's pretty remarkable. That's a great point because I think most times you have a an inventor, a visionary as almost separate, mm -hmm. you know, you have, or, or engineers as separate where right. actually he was all encompassing. That's a really good point. I really didn't think about because you know, when you have someone that has an idea, but doesn't know anything about the the idea and how to implement that, they, they would go to an engineer. Engineer, exactly. how do you do this? Right. And then, you know, there's multiple people in the process. He was all in one. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, and I think because of his perceived limitation of being blind, mm -hmm. it's actually the opposite. There's almost an irony here is that 
you know, we have a, a blind person inventing cruise control, right. you know, who's never really driven a car. Um, and not just that, you have what would be considered a limitation actually being what really promoted his thinking and promoted his imagination. Because if he did have sight, I'm wondering if maybe that would have been his limitation. Right. If he would have invented cruise control, if he'd had the ability to see. Right. That's I don't a, know. If that's he, an interesting question would. to ponder. Sure. And and to go a little bit deeper into his life, he he really rises to the ranks. I mean, you know, he he becomes part of a um, an owner of his father's company. He's he's risen to the ranks of president there. He's he's done some great things there. But on top of that, um, I think most people would know, if, especially if you're an automotive guy, uh, SAE stands for the Society of Automotive Engineers, and you'll see that throughout. I mean, any sort of car part, you'll see that that insignia. You'll see that on oil. Uh, if you go to an oil change uh, shop or anything like that, but he, he becomes obviously incredibly talented and a skilled craftsman um, and mind, but he eventually rose to the rank of president for SAE, which I think is a, a pretty amazing uh, accomplishment for someone like his, uh, you know, upcoming stature. But when he died in 1982, Teeter's legacy was already cemented. Uh, you know, he was a firm supporter of education, huge patron of uh, Earlham College in, in Richmond, Indiana. Uh, he's enshrined in the Automotive Hall of Fame, actually, and he's one of the SAE International's most prestigious engineering awards, and it's named after uh, Teeter's honor. So, you know, there, there's so many ways we could go with this, so many avenues, I guess you could say, pun intended, that, you know, you really could consider him one of the most, uh, you know, I, I obviously use that word a lot, the, one of the most profound visionaries. Mm -hmm. But really to see it through, I think, like you said, it, it takes that to a, to a completely different level. And I think that's why he's honored in so many ways. Um, a colleague in his father's company, Perfect Circle, once asked how much more might have been accomplished had he had been able to see. And the quote he gave, I think, is, is pretty remarkable. I probably couldn't have done as much, Teeter said. I can concentrate and you can't. And I think that's a that's a great way uh, especially in the 21st century, with so many different distractions. Right. I, I wonder, you know, with the amount of obstacles that gets in someone's way as a visionary, you might have this fantastic idea, but something gets in your way. Is it fear? Is it uh, the the fear of disappointment? The fear of um, failure? Is it maybe money issues? There's so many things that right. goes into that. Whereas his biggest limitation could have been his sight, like we mentioned earlier, right. and, and that was a, taken away. And what a great message. You know, this is our, our Thanksgiving episode. What a great message is, you know, as we enter this time of year where, where we appreciate everything and and, True. and time and, and all of that, you know, are certainly things that, that we should appreciate. This is a fantastic story, a feel-good story, an inspirational story, Phil. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I think we'll end with this quote here, and it's his grandson. Uh, in reflection of what what Teeter had said about you know being able to concentrate, is this quote right here, which I think is pretty profound, and we'll end here. His grandson says of that comment, "There was a purity in not being biased by his eyes." Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander, and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.